Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 29. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, as Howard said, it's obviously an incredibly challenging time for us as a community and an, a challenging time for me to have to, to speak to you. But I do sense that God will want us this morning to look to him, to look to his goodness, to look to his victory over sin and over evil in our lives. And um, so I'm going to trust God that he will, he will use the few words that I bring to do that this morning. And if you haven't met me, my name is Keegan. I'm married to Hannah. We're normally up here leading the worship, so it's great to be able to just uh, share with you in a slightly different forum. Um, and about 17 years ago, I had a profound encounter with the real and living God of the Bible. At the time, I was um, at, a, at high school in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I had become increasingly intrigued by this thing called Christianity. I didn't come from a Christian home. And I found myself with a friend of mine, with a school chaplain, praying to be filled with the Spirit, praying to commit my life to Christ. And it was an incredibly powerful and transformative moment in my life. And as my friend and I walked out of that moment, I turned to him and I said to him, that was beeping incredible. <laughs> And I tell you that story because it speaks to the fact that God changes us in a way and in a moment, um, but he also, there is still work to be done. And it was, it was funny because as I said those words and as that very technical term tumbled out my mouth, as they were all too accustomed to doing at that point in time, I suddenly felt like I'd been punched in the gut and I was like, oh, like the wind had been knocked out of me. What had happened? Why did I say that? Why did I, why did I use that word? And it was this amazing experience of God beginning to reestablish in my life a new force for good, a new force that was beginning to push back evil, that was beginning to cause me to walk in the ways that he had for me. And the Holy Spirit had come into my life. And as the Bible would say, I who once was dead had been made alive. And there was a new spirit at work within me who was causing me to begin to put on the new self and put off the old self. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And um, 
in the scripture that was read, that's why Paul starts the way that he does. He says, therefore, and then he gets into a whole bunch of instructions for how we ought to live. And the reason it's therefore is because of what Howard preached on last weekend, that we have been changed, right? That we have put our faith, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, there is a new ruling force in your life. Um, And so we're going to look at um, these four different steps that Christ is, is causing us or encouraging us to, or not Christ, at least Paul in the letter to the, the church in Ephesus is encouraging us to take as Christians. Um, and they, they're sort of new and totally different in two ways. The first is that they are completely different from who we used to be. Your life before Christ and your life once you have put your faith in Christ is totally different. And secondly, I think that when we read these, we can kind of see them as these sort of laws or or instructions that Paul's giving us. But I think he's pointing to something so much deeper, so much more transformational that will take us, cause us to fulfill God's old commandments, the Ten Commandments, and take us much further than that. And so we're going to look at these four points. um, And before I do, I, I just want to pray briefly. Father, I just ask that you would come and use this, these words, Jesus, to really open all of our hearts to see you, to know your goodness in our lives, Lord. We thank you, God, and pray that you would speak to us this morning. Amen. So my first point is speak the truth for Christ's sake. Speak the truth for Christ's sake. And this is the bit of scripture Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so my first point is that I think Paul is pointing to something so much greater than a set of moral philosophies or than the old commandments. And the reason I say this is because that bit of scripture which says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, actually comes from the book of Zechariah. And so Paul is pointing back to this incredible book. And if you read it, it's a a book which is really filled with a whole bunch of prophetic words about what God was going to do. And it's written 500 years before Christ. And at a time when the Jewish people were coming back from their exile in Babylon, and they had just gotten back to Jerusalem, and they were kind of going through this quite tough time to rebuild the temple. And into this moment, Zechariah speaks in and he begins to prophesy. And this is what he says. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 11 says, But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. And these words are really important. It's easy to gloss over them. But what he's saying is he's saying, and this is God speaking to the people of Israel. He's saying, I'm not going to deal with you the way that I dealt with you under the law. I'm doing something different at this time. And it goes on in chapter 8, verse 16 to say, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. And that's what Paul, when writing to the church in Ephesus, is harping back to. It's harping back to this time when the, 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 the people would render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And this, for me, when I began to read this, was completely transformative. Because actually, these instructions that Paul gives us, 
they're not just a new set of, of ideas, right? He's pointing to something that God had promised to do 500 years before Christ, which was ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that would change the very substance of who we are. And this is a completely fundamentally new way of looking at the instructions that Paul gives us and the way that he calls us to live. And a little while on, if you continue reading in Zechariah 9, um, verse 9, it says, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What an amazing, amazing bit of scripture pointing to the one who was to come, Jesus, who was going to bring in a whole new way for us as Christians to live. And so Paul is talking about in Ephesians this very deep transformational change. He's saying, therefore, having put away falsehood, having put it away, it's past tense. Falsehood, pretense, this need to, to, to have to kind of deliver and present ourselves as someone, perhaps even say, you know, speaking untruths and lies. He's saying, put, put all of that away. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. Speak the truth to one another. And so... This is the, the, the great thing about this passage, and I hope that this will come to life a bit more in, these other, in the other verses that we look at. Um, but also, Paul is giving us new motivation in Ephesians. He's saying, speak the truth to, another one, to one another, for we are members of one body. We are members of one body. And earlier in the, in the series, in case you haven't been with us all this time, there was a, a, you know, sermons earlier on that spoke about how we as the church are members of one body with Christ being the head. And this responsibility that we all have to grow up into maturity, to become like Christ. And so this is the call. This is why we, we we're being told, speak the truth to one another. And we need to do that in love, as we've also heard in, in some of the previous messages. But it's because we have an obligation to one another, but we also have an obligation to Jesus. We have an obligation to Jesus. It's ultimately, it's his body and we are members of it. And so let us not be a church that is stunting the growth of one another because we're not speaking the truth, which is really who we are now in Christ. So my next point is to resolve anger or resolve anger to resist the devil. Resolve anger to resist the devil. And the, the scripture in Ephesians goes on and it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now in, in the Greek, this notion of anger is pretty broad. It's kind of those times when you begin to feel angry and feel kind of the rage coming through. But it also talks about these times if you're more passive aggressive like me, you're in good company, where you just feel a little bit, meh, just a bit, I've had enough, I'm done. I'm done, I, kind of, I don't want to go there. And that's sort of what the scripture is getting at when it talks about anger. And I'm very fortunate that, that Hannah, over the years of our marriage, has gotten very good at reading the intimate details of my facial expression to know when I'm getting angry, when I'm not really showing it or saying it. And so if you're a passive aggressive like me, don't dial out. This is also for you. <laughs> and there are these two commands here, which are 
a little bit confusing and have been puzzling for me and I think many others who, who have written about this. Because God is saying in one sense, be angry. There's a command to be angry and there's also a command to do not sin. And so it just throws up this question, is God telling us to be angry? And I think it's helpful if we just think about the different types of anger that we see in the Bible. Because there's, there's clearly this sort of righteous anger, this holy anger that comes from God himself. And you see that in the life of Jesus, right? When he's dealing with the Pharisees, when he's dealing with false religion that they're putting on. He gets mad. He gets angry. You see it in the temple when he goes and he overturns the, 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 the tables of the money changers. So there's this, this real anger that comes from God. And ultimately, it's anger against sin. And it's so severe that it needed Jesus to die. There's a real wrath and anger of God against sin. But at the same time, I don't think that this is what Paul is really getting at here. I don't think he's saying be righteously anger or angry. I think what he's actually saying, if you read in the context of Ephesians, is that when you're in community, when you're in a context of the church and dealing with people, there are going to be times when you get angry. This emotional response rises up in you, in the flesh of who you are. And I think what Paul is doing is he's making an allowance for us to be angry. He's just said, put away falsehood. He's making an allowance for us to be authentic with one another, to feel these emotions, not to just sweep them under the carpet and put on a smile and pretend that everything's okay. And the reason I say this is, again, because Paul here is quoting back to Psalm 4. And Psalm 4 starts like this. It's David speaking, and it says, David says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? I hope you see in that David is wrestling with God here. He's feeling in distress. He's feeling probably shamed by people potentially even, you know, in his own army or his own high officials. And he's saying, God, where are you? Hear me in my distress, Lord. And I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. He's saying there's a space in the life of the Christian for authenticity, to, to let yourself feel anger. And it's very helpful what the psalmist, David, who writes this, goes on to say. He gives us some guidance. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds and be silent. And so there's this very helpful advice here to say, don't react. Kind of be silent. Take some time to think about it. But I think that Paul is upping the ante in Ephesians 4 verse 26. Because he says the same thing, be angry and do not sin, but the, 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 the guidance that follows is somewhat different. Paul says, you know, don't even let the sun go down on your anger. And the psalmist is saying, sleep on it. And so I think Paul is saying, guys, this is, there's real urgency here in dealing with anger. There's a real urgency. And... Um, I thought it would be remiss of me as a South African to not at least have one safari tale 
in my, in my sermon. <laughs> so, when I was a teenager growing up, um, my father used to love going on safari or going to the game parks, as we call it. And um, there was this time when we went up to Botswana, which is just north of South Africa. And Botswana is a lot wilder than the, the, the kind of safaris you tend to do in South Africa. And so we had gone up there and we got to the, the, the campsite where we were camping and there's kind of a number on a tree and a clearing under a tree. And so we had arrived at the day, started setting up um, camp. And as the sort of sun started to set, we had the fire just going and then we begin to hear this sound, this and if you've spent any time in the African bush, you'll know that that's lions. <laughs> and so we are in, in, our, in our campsite. We've just set up camp. There's no fences. There's nobody around. And suddenly we begin to hear lions. And we can understand. You can kind of get a gauge for how far away they are. And they must have been 100, 200 yards away. We had been there the whole day. This pride of lion were there sleeping in the bushes. We had no idea. And as the sun goes down, they begin to wake up. And we start feeling our hearts thudding and we're getting on top of cars to try and figure out where they are. And fortunately for us, they headed off in a different direction. But I use this story because I think this is a little bit like what Paul is saying. He's saying that when we get angry, it's as though we begin to march out of camp. We walk out into the wilderness. And I think there's some of us here who've been marching. Last year, lockdown has brought huge pain, stress, difficult situations. And some of us have been marching, saying, God, why is this happening? God, why do I have to deal with my kids? Why do I have to homeschool them? God, why are people acting that way? Why have governments done this, God? And we've been marching out of camp. And I think that there are some of us who've been outside of the camp for many nights. And friends, the wild gets dangerous at night. Lions come awake and go on hunts at night. And I think this is the warning that Paul gives. He's giving us an allowance to get angry, to be authentic. But he's saying, don't stay out after dark. Come back to camp. Come back to me. Michael Eaton, in his commentary on, on, on this bit of scripture, says, Some disastrous mistakes and temptations and sins come in if anger continues unquenched. John Wesley says, Lose not one day a clear express command. Reader, do you keep it? And friends, how are you doing? How are you doing with anger, bitterness, resentment? Have you been bottling things up, sweeping them under the carpet that are festering? I think there's a moment for us this morning to come back to God, to come back to Him. And I just want to give you some simple ideas for how to do that. I think the first is that we've got to take it to God in prayer. That's what David was doing in that psalm. He's wrestling it through with God. He's being authentic and genuine with God. And the second is if there's someone who has made you angry, 
I think we need to take the courageous step to try to speak to them, to try to process that with them, to be wise in the words that we use, but to, to, to speak to them about the way that they've made us feel. And equally, if you know that someone else is angry at you, I think there's also an obligation on you to try to walk back to that other person and to say, I know, maybe I've upset you. I know that you're angry with me. Can we talk about it? There's no space for getting on a pedestal in the Christian life, for saying, you move first and then I'll move. No, move to them. Move to them. The costs are grave. The dangers are grave. Let not be a church that is in anger, which has stepped and kind of festered and deteriorated down into sin. Let's be authentic, let's be angry when we need to, but let's deal with that, and let's deal with it with the urgency that Paul is encouraging us to do here. And my last suggestion is, if it's appropriate, pray and speak to others. Speak to your life group and pray with them. Pray with them. So, point number three is... The next verse, verse, and it's this, this is the point, is that all must gain to give. All must gain to give. So verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest, good work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And when I first hit the scripture, I kind of thought, let the thief no longer steal? How, how relevant is that really? And I had to sort of stop myself and pray a little bit more, and actually it's very relevant, because I think that theft is pretty pervasive in our lives, actually. There's the very obvious theft of kind of, you know, stealing cars and, and, and stealing physical goods, but there's a whole bunch of other ideas that come through when we begin to think about it. And, and I want to give you a few other examples. I think there's, there's one group called the Sophisticated Hoodwinkers, as I call them. And you might have heard the story of Nikola, who set themselves up as opposition to Tesla. Nikola was building electric trucks, and at some point they've had a pretty disastrous run the last little while, but at some point they released a video of the launch of their new truck, and it was called Truck in Motion, and they had this video of this, this Nikola truck flying down this road and kind of bragging about this technology that they had. And what they had actually done was towed the truck up to the top of a hill and let it roll down because their hydrogen technology wasn't working. <laughs> and investors bought into this. People put money in. People have lost lots of money. So there's this group of sophisticated hoodwinkers. I think there's the everyday pirates. You know, where are you getting your music and your films from? Are you paying for them or are you downloading them on Pirate Bay? What about the time takers? Maybe you've felt this tension if you've been working from home. You know that you've got these options in Microsoft Teams where you can set your status and you can kind of manage how, how busy you are towards your employer. Or maybe you get up early to send a few emails and then you head out for brunch with some friends. Now, I'm not advocating for workplaces not to be flexible with their time, but actually are you defrauding your employer of how much time you're actually spending with them and managing your impression? Are you stealing time back from your employer? And what about the praise pinches? You know, maybe there's a junior in the team, they've done all the work, and then the senior person takes that and presents it in the meeting as though it's their own. Or the blame shifters. Something's happened, stuff's gone wrong, you don't want to own up, and it's easier to say, actually, it was really that person's fault. 
and you steal back their innocence. Now I know those are some more subtle examples of, of, of how we can be led into stealing. And friends, that's the old self. The new self is not that person. And I just want to say that if that does fit any of you, that actually it's okay. It's okay. God is calling us to a new way. There's grace today for all the things that we've done wrong. There's a new way to live, which is a great and glorious new way. And so we can come back to Christ. And the call is this. The call is really to vigorous good work. In Ephesians 2, chapter 10, which we read earlier on, it says this. It says, for we are his workmanship. In the Greek, that word is poema, from which we get the word poem. It's as though God is saying, we are his, his poetry to the world, his masterpiece to the world, created in Christ once we've believed in him, which, for good works, for good works. And so we don't need to be the praise pinchers, we don't need to be the, the blame shifters, because actually there's good and honest work that God has got for us, and your new self wants to do that. And the flesh is going to resist. But we need to live in the new self. And there's also a call here to vigorous work. Because in, in the, the scripture in Ephesians, that work which is used for labor means to work till you're fatigued and you're tired. And I think there's, there's maybe us people in two camps. Some of us who feel... I'm too busy, I'm so busy, and Howard spoke about busyness, and it's a real problem. And I think what we need to do is we need to take some inspiration from Paul, who said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 10, he said, I worked harder than them all, but not I, the grace of God with me. And so I think when we feel a bit overwhelmed, the question is not really, do I have capacity for this? Am I capable to do this? The question is, God, is your grace with me? Where is your grace with me? And if we've got too much on and we don't sense that God's grace is in some aspects of it, we need to stop. But equally, I think the call of the Christian life is not simply to just a nine to five to do the bare minimum and, and, and get by. The call is to really give ourselves. It's to give ourselves to our workplaces. It's to give ourselves for the good of the city. And it's just this question I think we need to ask, and I'm trying to ask myself, God, where is your grace with me? Not what capacity do I have or am I capable? God, where is your grace with me? And that's what we should be walking into. And Paul gives us in this, um, the, the, the scripture in Ephesians again, and, uh, this new and amazing motivation for why we ought to be working. And there's many good reasons. You know, God worked. God's created us to steward the earth. There's, there's loads of good biblical reasons for why we should work. But in the scripture, Paul gives us what I think is it really gets to the heart of the gospel, the kind of generosity of the gospel in terms of why we should be working. And he says that we should work honestly so that we may have something to share with anyone who's in need. And so how are we doing on being generous? And how are you doing on your motivation for work? Is it for progress? Is it for you know, self-esteem? Is it pride that's motivating you? Or are you thinking about actually, God, 
If I, if I do well in my workplace, it allows me to be more generous. I, I have means to, to help anybody who's struggling. And so I want to encourage us to really get in touch with the, the, the financial situations of people's lives in our life group. Is there anyone who's needing support? And I think as a church, we've done an amazing job of giving to the building project. Wow, guys, well done on generosity. I mean, I was blown away when I saw the numbers that, that we managed to raise far beyond what we were hoping for. Immense generosity, and I just want to encourage us to keep going in that direction. Keep going into the generosity. Keep working hard because it's the gospel that we're modeling to people in our giving. It's the gospel. Okay, my last point is that we ought to be, when we're in the new self, building others with blocks of grace, building others with blocks of grace. And so this is what the scripture said. It says, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, I'm sure we've all had this experience. Maybe you uh, found yourself somewhere picking apples from an apple tree, or maybe you got an apple from your um, wonky vegetable box that looked a bit like this, and you pick up the apple, and the apple looks great, but it's got this small little kind of prick in it, probably from a neighboring branch that was being a little bit unfriendly and jabbed it somewhere along the way while this apple was growing, and you think, oh, it looks okay, and you bite into the apple, and as you do, you get this awful mouthful of brown, bitter mush. Most of the apple is rotten. And you just couldn't see it from the outside. And that's the image that Paul is really using here. When he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupting is used mostly to describe fruit that has rotten. Or, or rotten is that word? <laughs> anyway, my English. Um, fruit, fruit that has, that has, um, has rotted. That's the one. Um, and it's also used to describe fish that's gone putrid. And so Paul is using this quite vivid imagery here to say, let no rotting talk come out of your mouths. And let's not be a church that is that unfriendly neighboring branch that makes one little slight into our brother or sister, which begins this process of decay on the inside. That's what Paul's saying. And, and there's a real danger that we don't see it. You know, I think we can walk around as though everything is okay. But on the inside, there's a lot more going on. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, that's the old self. The old self wants to break others down. It wants to hold others back. The new self wants to build others up with this, these words that are encouraging, that build people up, that, that speak grace to others. And that's what we should be doing as a community. And... I think there's some great moments to do this. Hannah and I love um, when it's a birthday. We, we generally buy a big card because we want to write a lot and we've got a lot of stuff we want to say to encourage other people. And so think about ways. How do we be encouraging as a church? Maybe it's praying before a life group. Maybe it's sending people a message. Maybe it's writing an email or a letter. Maybe it's writing great cards to your kids. How do we be those who use our words and our speech to build others up? And to be thoughtful in the way that we do that, right, as fits the occasion. It requires effort. It requires us to stop beforehand and say, God, how do I, how do, I do this well? 
Ask God for creative ideas to build one another up and to, to take us into this place of, of being a church that is more, living more in the reality of who we are in Christ than who we were before we put our trust in him. And really, this gets back to a matter of the heart. I was just reminded of the scripture in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, where it says that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so where is, where is your heart at today? Does it feel filled up with God? Does it feel like you're living in the reality and the goodness of God and what he's done in your life? And so I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, And I'm, I think it's important that, maybe just as I end, one thing I forgot to do at the beginning is to acknowledge all the amazing people who've helped me <laughs> along the way. There's amazing commentaries by a bunch of different people that I've read. Um, from Peter O'Brien, who's written a great commentary, Michael Eaton, Martin Lloyd-Jones, all these others who've helped me in, in shaping these ideas. And so I just wanted to acknowledge them. But in response... I just want to call us to come back to God this morning. Call us to come back to the goodness. There is a new reality in our lives which is displacing the darkness. And that's the good God that we serve. He's not giving us a bunch of laws to live under here. He's pointing out a new reality in our lives because of the work of grace. And it was quite interesting for me when I was going through this and preparing. I kind of had this grapple because these are commands. These are commands. These are ways that we must live. And I was kind of going, God, how can you, how can you give us commands again? I thought, we were, I thought we'd moved into this new world of grace. How can Paul be so, so clear, so, so straight, and so direct in this? And I don't think that God is putting us back under law, and I don't think that that's what Paul was intending to do. I think the very reason that Paul can be so firm with these commands is because he is so convinced of the persisting and lasting work that God does in a believer, that there is a new reality that we live in. And so he's okay to say, guys, you must live like this. This is who you are. Don't let the flesh hold you back. Don't let the flesh hold you back. Live in who you are in Christ. And so we're going to sing a song. Why don't we stand together? Um, just a song of coming back to God, and I'm going to pray for us. Maybe some of you here have never really experienced this, and you say, Keegan, I hear you, but I haven't really experienced this, this newness in my life. I want to pray for you. And then maybe for some of the others, some of these topics have pricked some spaces in your heart, and God's calling you to come back. Maybe you need to walk back into camp. Maybe you need help to know how to encourage your family. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. God, I thank you that the work that Jesus has done on the cross is fundamentally different from any philosophies, 
from any good habits or ways of living. God, that you have transformed us when we put our faith and our trust in you. So Holy Spirit, I just welcome you now. God, won't you come and just speak to all these individuals, God, all of us. Lord, as we've looked at your word, we realize we, we maybe are not living in the new self. But Lord, thank you that we look to you. We look to the God of the impossible who will push back the powers of darkness in our lives and who will cause love and new life to be shed abroad in our hearts. So God, we pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, won't you come and minister to all of us and do that now for your sake. Amen. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.